The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Today, we are starting a new series on the life of Joseph. Um, Someone asked me if it's the Joseph of the Old Testament or New Testament, and I said, (laughs) the New Testament Joseph would take about a week. But no, we're doing the Old Testament Joseph, and I am very excited to dig into it. It's really a continuation of a sermon series that we've been doing in Genesis since, since Jacob's Well began. Uh, every time we've preached from the Old Testament and done a series in the Old Testament, it's been from Genesis. We started with the created series, looking at life's biggest questions from Genesis 1 through 3, and then East of Eden series, looking at life after the fall of humanity. And then for a large chunk from Genesis 6 through 35, We had a series called Remnant of a Savior, in which we saw how God preserved this promised line of a Savior from the descendants of Eve, and how he had done that through many uh, many things that had put it in jeopardy, like a flood, or like human sin, or infertility, how God had preserved the remnant of a Savior that he had promised. Genesis chapter 36 is the lineage of Esau. Uh, We're not going to preach on that, so if you would like to know more, feel free to read up on it. And then Genesis 37 is where we start the story of Joseph, and it goes all the way through Genesis 50. So if you haven't heard those other sermons, I'd encourage you, go online. You can download those, listen to them online, and uh, you can catch up to speed. Joseph is probably the most written about figure in Genesis. His chapter, like I, or his story takes up 13 chapters. Um, Joseph comes from a, a long, messed up line of men saved by grace. You look at Joseph's great-grandpa, Abraham, who was an adulterer. Uh, he prostituted out his wife to save his own neck on two separate occasions. Joseph's grandpa Isaac followed in his father's footsteps, pimping out his wife in order to try to save his own life. He tried to thwart God's plan by favoring Esau over Jacob, even though he knew he was to give his blessing to Jacob. And then Joseph's own dad, Jacob, who is later renamed Israel, which can be confusing. So if you see the name Israel or Jacob, it's talking about the same person. But Jacob was a deceiver, and he stole his brother's birthright. And then he too went on to marry multiple women, as we'll see today. And I mention all of that because Joseph is like a breath of fresh air. Joseph stands in stark contrast to his forefathers. Joseph is not a perfect man, only Jesus is. He's a sinful man, but he is a godly man. And as we'll see, Joseph is a Christ-like figure in the book of Genesis. We have a lot to learn from the life of Joseph, like trusting in God in the midst of suffering and injustice, forgiving others who have wronged us, having faith in God's promises when the situation seems hopeless, or recognizing God's sovereignty even in the daily grind. All of these things are things that we can relate to. So we are going to cover about a chapter a week, and so I'd encourage you maybe to read ahead so that you can uh, be familiar with the content before we preach on it. Some community groups are actually going to study the chapter the week prior to the sermon just to get you familiar with the material before we preach on it. So we're gonna, this, today we're going to read through Genesis chapter 37 and we're going to break it down into parts because it's such a large portion of Scripture. So keep your Bibles open and we will return to them frequently. But before we do that, 
Let's open in prayer. Lord God, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for what you have done in Joseph and through Joseph. God, we thank you in advance for what you are going to instruct our hearts, how you are going to conform us into the image of Christ, how you are going to renew our joy in you. God, I pray just if there's anyone here who, who maybe got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, who is frustrated and angry at life or at you or at family members, God, that you would give them peace in their soul, Lord, that they would be able to rest in you this morning, learn from you, that they would once again remember the joy of their salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. By a show of hand, how many of you can remember a time in your life where life just fell apart? Where something really, really went bad? Okay, good. For some of you, maybe you lost a loved one. Either they died, and that was very sad and heartbreaking, or maybe it's just a loved one who there is tension in the relationship, and you have never had the same relationship with them since a certain instant happened. For some of you, you may have lost your home or your possessions. Maybe you've been displaced. Maybe you moved from your home state to Wisconsin and you're new here and everything feels foreign and different. Maybe you lost some financial security or some status when a job passed you by. Maybe you have been violated and sinned against horrifically. And it was at that time that your life kind of just shattered and fell apart. Any of those things would be completely life-changing, would be tragic. In Genesis 37, all of these things happened to Joseph, all of them. Joseph loses his family. He loses his security. He loses his status. He is violated. He is betrayed, and he is sinned against Greatly, And so there's two questions I want to ask today as we look at Genesis chapter 37. When your life falls apart, what comfort can God give you? When your life falls apart, what comfort can God give you? And the second question, when your life falls apart, what hope can God give you? So let's read together in Genesis 37. We'll break it down into four parts. We'll look at the father's favoritism in verse 1 through 4, Joseph's dream in 5 through 11, the brother's betrayal in 12 through 35, and the God's sovereign plan in verse 36. I don't have a page number. Oh, page uh, 31 in the Red Bibles, if you have that, page 63 in the Children's Bible. So let's start by looking at the father's favoritism. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning, in the land of Canaan. There was... These are the generations of Jacob. In the book of Genesis, whenever it says these are the generations of, it means we're starting a major section, a new section in this big story of Genesis. And so here we're starting the story of Joseph, okay? Joseph being 17 years old, 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. These were two of Jacob's four wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, 
because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than, any other, than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Joseph's family looks a little bit like a Jerry Springer show. Actually, it makes Jerry Springer shows look kind of tame. It is a recipe for disaster. Jacob marries four different women and has 13 kids between these four women. He has six boys and a girl with Leah, a wife that he does not love, that he was tricked into marrying. He has two boys with Bilhah and two boys with Zippah, the servants of Rachel and Leah. And then finally, he has two boys with his beloved Rachel, who he cherishes so much. Rachel's oldest boy is Joseph, and that's why he has a place of prominence in Jacob's heart, because it is his, the wife that he loved. It's her firstborn. And then Joseph's younger brother is Benjamin. Jacob wasn't only guilty of adultery, which, which certainly caused division and fracturing in the family as children took sides and formed allegiances, but Jacob was also guilty of favoritism, which was absolutely devastating to this family. We read in verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Many of you have probably heard of the Broadway play, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. This coat was given to Joseph to, to put him up on a pedestal to show everyone that Joseph, that Joseph was Jacob's preferred son and all of the other brothers had to see. It would be like if you had many kids in your family and your father said, I'm going to buy your brother or your sister a Porsche, but here you get this bicycle and you get to go ride and you can see who suffers because of the dad's favoritism. It says when they saw that the father loved him more than the brothers, they hated Joseph and would not speak to him peacefully. They didn't hate Jacob, the one who was favoring him, but they hated Joseph because they longed for their father's affection, just like any man or woman does. They longed for their father's attention and affection, and Jacob was stealing it for them. So let me ask you this question. If you're here today and you're a father or you're a mother, is there sin in your life? For for Jacob, it was favoritism and and adultery? Is there sin in your life that is driving your family apart? Maybe it is a hidden sin or a respectable sin. Maybe it is a subtle sin that is slowly driving a wedge in the relationship between you or between your children. You know, I know, I I found out when my kids were growing up around the age of three, I realized how quickly they, they learn from their dad, right? They become sponges, and it, and it becomes startling to you, you know, when you're driving in the car and your kids are, are behind fighting and you, and you turn around and you say, quit yelling at each other, right? And you're like, oh, wait, where did they learn that from? Oh, yes, me. Or, hey, quit hitting your brother, right? Quit hitting your sister, and it's, dad. they learned it from me, right? Our sin is passed on throughout the generations. Jacob's sin of favoritism was nothing new. It had a history. His father Isaac had favorites. His, father, his, his mother had favorites. Jacob's father Isaac favored Esau. His mother favored him. And as a result of it, Jacob was, had to run away to save his own life. 
And he didn't see his mother, his beloved mother, ever again. He was gone for 20 years before he returned home. And this was all because of favoritism. And then we get from Isaac to his son Jacob. And Jacob shows favoritism to Rachel over Leah. And it devastates Leah. And now we see him doing it again and showing favoritism to one son over the others. And it is dividing the family. Now, your sin may be favoritism. You may, you may be very patient and loving and kind to one child and kind of screaming and yelling to another child. Or, or maybe, you know, you take one child with you to the store, but the other child never gets to go with you or whatever it might be. It may be favoritism, but there are other sins that affect our children. It could be a sexual sin like Jacob sleeping around or a heart that is captivated by other men or women instead of your spouse. Maybe it is, it is a marriage that is built on friction and tension in which the husband does not love and cherish his wife as he's supposed to, and the wife does not respect her husband as she is called to. Maybe it's an idolatry of career. You're always gone at work. The kids never see you. They always want to see you, but they don't. And they're learning that career comes before family. Maybe it's laziness, not taking the effort to shepherd your children or to play with them or love them and encourage them. These are sins that are subtle, that are even somewhat respectable, that are ignored in many ways, but these drive wedges into family. And God gives us the remedy for this, and it is repentance, to repent to our children, to repent to our wives, to repent to our husbands, to repent to God, and to say, if you see me doing this, please call me out on it. Let me know. And so we see here Jacob's favoritism and how it starts driving a wedge in this family. We move on and we see Joseph's dream. Verse 5, read along with me. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to, the fa- to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the sayings in mind. Joseph's brothers somehow knew exactly what his dream meant. They knew that his dream meant that one day they would come and they would bow down before him and that he would rule over them. This would be hard for any brother to swallow, wouldn't it? especially in a toxic relationship like the one that they had, especially in a family that was so divided like the one that they had. You can see how their anger and their jealousy build. In verse 4, we read that they hated Joseph so much that they could not even speak peacefully to him. Verse 5, Joseph has a dream, and when he told the two brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 8, they said, are you indeed going to reign over us, rule over us? So they hated him even more. And then verse 11, it says, and his brothers were jealous of him. You know, when I look at Joseph's dream, I thought to myself, I I wonder, why did God give Joseph these dreams? These dreams of the sheaves and the stars and the moon and all that. 
Didn't God know how the brothers would respond? Of course he did. I mean, God knew that they would hate him. They knew that it, he knew that it would cause division. And so why did God give Joseph this dream? Why not just let him go on? And I think there are many reasons. We'll, we'll cover two of them in the next two points. It's to lead to the brother's betrayal and fulfill God's sovereign plan. But one of the important reasons why God gives Joseph a dream is to show him his destiny. So that in midst of the trials, in midst of the suffering, in the midst of the chaos that is about to come, he knows the destination that he's headed towards. God knew what Joseph was about to endure. God knew that Joseph would be a victim of wickedness, that Joseph would be betrayed, enslaved. And so he gave him a crystal clear dream to remind him of his destiny when he was walking through those times of suffering. You know, when Trish and I first started dating, she lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I lived in Columbia, Missouri. And it, there was 500 miles that, that separated us. It was a nine-mile drive to get from Columbia, Missouri to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And we tried to see each other about once a month just so we could remember what each other looked like. We talked over the phone all the time. But I remember when that time would come when I would get to go and drive up and see Trish and how excited I was for that. I still get excited to drive home and see her now. But sometimes I would leave at like 10 o'clock at night and I would drive through the night and I would be chomping on sunflower seeds, drinking coffee, doing whatever I could to stay awake just so I could get up there and be there when she woke up in the morning so that we could spend the day together. And the reason why I could go through all of that sleep deprivation, which is very hard for me if you know me personally, and go through all of that suffering is because I knew my destination. My destination was a person that I could not wait to see. God gives Joseph a destination. He says, you will reign over your brothers and over your fathers. There is a great hope and a great plan for your life. And this was great comfort for Joseph as he was in his journey of suffering. I know some of you, I can't believe you do this, but some of you take your family of small children and drive to Florida every winter. And I'm just thinking, what are you doing? Like, that's insane. I mean, why would you bring such suffering upon yourself? But you do it because you know the destination. You know that you're going to be sitting in warm, sandy beaches, hopefully, if the weather works out. And so it's worth the journey. And in the midst of that suffering of craziness and chaos, you know where you're headed. So one of the questions I asked you at the beginning was, when your life falls apart, what hope can God give you? And the answer is, you know your destiny. Joseph knew from his dream that he was going to be a king of some sorts. And we know our destiny is far greater than Joseph's. If you're a Christian, you don't have to have a dream to find out your destiny. God tells it to us through his word. God tells us in his word that in this life we will face trials, but that we have a greater destiny than our trials. If you're a Christian, you know your destiny. You don't need to dream about it. God has clearly told it to you that in Christ you are headed to heaven where there will be no more trials, no more suffering, no more pain. There will be no more injustice or betrayal or suffering or pain, no more family strife, no more deceit, no more betrayal. There will be God. We will be holy. We will be happy. It will be glorious as we enter into an eternal worship that will set our hearts afire. Revelation 22 gives us a picture of it. It says, no longer, 
This is a picture of heaven. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the destiny for those who trust in Christ, and this destiny gives us great hope when we walk through the trials of this life. So just as God's revelation to Joseph of his destiny gave him hope, the revelation of our destiny to be with God forever gives us hope in the midst of trials. Paul writes of it this way. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not even worth comparing our suffering now because the glory is going to be so great. And so when life falls apart, what gives us hope in that time? Our certain future, forever with God, holy and happy. Let's continue the story. Look at the brother's betrayal. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks, their father's flock near Shechem, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he came to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And the man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. I have a map for you here, if you put it up, of kind of Joseph's journey. So Joseph started down here in Hebron, and his father, Jacob, said, Go check on your brothers. And so he probably went up through Jerusalem, through Bethel, up to Shechem. It's about a 60-mile walk. And so it's a pretty long journey to go check on your brothers. And then he has to go in that whole region of Shechem and try to find his brothers. Well, he's traveling around looking for his brothers, can't find them. And the man says, your, your brothers went up to Dothan. So, so Jacob continues up to Dothan. Now, it's very important later in this story that his brothers were in Dothan and not Shechem, okay? We'll see that later. Keep it in mind. But that's the journey that Jacob took to go and find his brothers. Let's continue. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, probably recognized his technicolor dream coat, knew it was him. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, let's pause here. I I watch the news periodically. I don't watch a lot, and there's a lot of tragedy in the news. But what I don't often see is a conspiracy for someone to kill their own sibling. I don't know why, but it seems like, and maybe, I'm sure it happens. I just don't see it a lot. You know, people will, will kill, like, their spouse or their, their parents, or, but, like, never siblings. This is someone you have a bond with. Even if you hate them, you still feel bonded to them. But, but here are the family of God, the people of God, the hope of God. And their plan is to kill their own brother. This is how deep the hatred went, how deep the envy went. Let's continue. Verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. 
Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wickedness, but do not lay a hand on him. Now, why did Reuben say this? That he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. We're not sure why Reuben wanted to do this. It might have been because Reuben was the oldest brother. He felt a responsibility to take care of his kid brother. Joseph knew his, bro- his father would probably hold him responsible for Joseph's well-being. Maybe it's because he was trying to cleanse a guilty conscience. He had slept with his father's wife a few chapters ago. I'm telling you, his family's messed up. Maybe because he wants to gain his father's affection. He's looking for any way to do it. Whatever it might be, Reuben steps in and says, put him in a pit so I can, and then he doesn't tell him, but so that he can come back and rescue him later. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, the symbol of his favoritism, the symbol of their hatred. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. (laughs) Then they sat down to eat. Joseph comes to his brothers, probably elated that he finally found them, hungry, thirsty, looking for help. He comes up to his brothers, ready to embrace them, and they strip the robe off of him. They throw him into a pit. He is screaming out, crying out to them for help. We know it because it says it later in Genesis 42. His brothers confess. They said, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother Joseph, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. And so they're listening to him, begging with them, pleading with them for his own life, and they sit down to eat. They hate this man so much. This betrayal was so deep. The passage goes on, verse 25. They sat down to eat, and looking up, They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, who we'll look at extensively next week, said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own Flesh and his brothers listened to the listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. I could imagine how Joseph felt on that journey to Egypt. Joseph had physical wounds, but far worse were the emotional, relational wounds. He had journeyed so far to find his brothers, only for them to betray him. It goes on, verse 29. When Reuben, the one who wanted to rescue Joseph, returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone And I, where shall I go? He knew he'd be in trouble with his father because he was the oldest son. He was responsible for his brother's well-being. Where shall I go? 
Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. One of the worst things a parent can endure is to bury their own child. Some of you have had to do that. And you know how grievous that is. For Jacob, he's just assuming his child is gone. He doesn't get a funeral. And so he has lost his beloved son. You know, I'm not sure what the timeline is of Genesis 37. I'm thinking maybe it's a week, two weeks that all of this happens. But within this time span, Joseph's life falls apart. Jacob's life falls apart. Joseph is sold into slavery, separated from his family, taken away from his home, and worst of all, betrayed by his brothers. Joseph was unwanted. He was hated. He was despised by those that were supposed to love him the most. Jacob lost his favorite son, the son that he idolized. Their life was shattered. You know, the other question I asked you at the beginning was, when life falls apart, what comfort can God give to you? You know, what I appreciate about the real Bible is it's not like children's Bibles. You know, in children's Bibles, you always have hippie Jesus smiling with white teeth and, you know, golden flowing hair and everyone's happy and everything's fine. But when you look at the real Bible, there are some weeks that children simply cannot sit in here and listen to because it is so real and so honest and so true. It shows how messy life is, how broken it can be. God is not ignorant of your misery. He's not ignorant of your hardship. Have you ever been displaced from your home? As I mentioned earlier, some of you I know lived and grew up in a certain area and you moved to Wisconsin. It's a very traumatic experience. God gets it. God understands what you're going through. Have you ever been betrayed like Joseph? Had those that were closest to you turn on you? God gets it. Have you ever lost a child like Jacob did? God gets it. You see, God doesn't only know your suffering. He has experienced your suffering. And we know that by looking at the cross, by sitting at the foot of the cross. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was displaced from his heavenly home to come to a broken, uncomfortable, messy, dirty world. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was betrayed by those closest to him and handed over to death. God the Father suffered the loss of his favorite son, his only son. And so you see, if you trust in Christ, if you pray to God, if you lean on God, if you go to God, you not only have a God who intellectually understands your suffering, you have a God 
who has experienced your suffering. And it is a great comfort to comfort to him, to share with him, to know that he has not only intellectual capacity to comprehend what you're going through, but he himself came to this earth and experienced the same suffering that you are going through. And so we ask two questions. When your life falls apart, what hope can God give you? And it is a certain future. And when comfort, what comfort can God give you? And it's that God himself has experienced the same suffering we have and is there to love you and care for you through it. Finally, God's sovereign plan. Remember how earlier I said it was important that Joseph's brothers moved to Dotham? There was, they were originally going to Shechem, but God must have dried up the resources, pressed them further north into Dothan. And it's really important. And we'll see why here. Verse 28. The Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Put up, I have a map up here again, just a completion of that. So the red is what we saw before going up there. Where, where God brought the brothers, where God brought the flock, where God brought Joseph, where God placed the pit, was in the place where traders would come through on a major trade route, trade route to go down to Egypt. God had coordinated the Midianite traders' departure time, their travel time, their delays. God coordinated Jacob's request for Joseph to go up and find his brothers. God coordinated the location where Jacob would interact, intersect with his brothers. God had coordinated all these things because God's plan was to get Joseph to Egypt. This was unbeknownst to Joseph. It was unbeknownst to his brothers. It was unbeknownst to his father. It was unbeknownst to the traders. None of them knew it, but God knew that this was his plan. And so he placed him there that Joseph might end up in Egypt. Now we may ask, why is it important? Why was it so important that Joseph ends up in Egypt? Why was it so important that he suffered? in order to end up in Egypt. And we look at this from other passages in, the, in Genesis. And I'm going to look at one right before and one after. First, looking at Genesis chapter 15, God comes to create a covenant with Abraham, Jacob's great-great-grandfather, or great-grandfather. And he comes to him and, he's, and he tells him to, to separate animals. This is how they made covenants. And then we read this, Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, now we expect the Lord to say, I love you, I'm with you, I'll give you kids, you're going to go great, things are going to go well. It's not what God says. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation and they, that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Do you see what's going on here? In Genesis 37, God is using the wickedness of the brothers to carry out his eternal plan. His eternal plan of redemption for Israel. 
His eternal plan to let the Amorites carry out their sin that, that God might be justified when he brings back the people of God to wipe out the land and possess it. Joseph's suffering, my suffering, your suffering is all part of God's sovereign plan. If you have been displaced from your home, if you have been betrayed by loved ones, if you have lost a loved one, it is all a part of God's sovereign plan of redemption. All right. I know I've gone long here. I'm going to try to speed it up. We see here God's sovereign plan for his brothers. Joseph was, God's sovereign plan was that Joseph would be betrayed so that he could save his betrayers. Okay? He was betrayed so that he could save his betrayers. He says in Genesis 50, verse 19 through 20, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. I am not in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then he says, so do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Joseph was betrayed that he might save his betrayers. Joseph was betrayed so that the ones that were supposed to love him the most the ones that were to care for him, the ones that were closest, the ones that betrayed him might be saved through him. It just doesn't seem right, does it? That God's plan, God's sovereign plan would be to save the betrayers. I don't want Joseph's brothers to be saved, to be honest with you. When I first read this, when I first looked at this, it made me angry. I want his brothers to receive justice. I want them to be punished. I want them to go to hell. I don't want them to be saved. They're wicked, wicked men. But God's plan was that Joseph's brothers, the betrayers, would be saved through their betrayal of Joseph. And this made me angry. And then I realized that the brother's story is my story. By my sin, I have betrayed my king, King Jesus. It is because of my betrayal, because of my sin, that Jesus was handed over, suffered, and nailed to a cross. Do you see? Joseph was a pattern of a greater story that was to come. Jesus was betrayed so that he could save his betrayers. Jesus was betrayed by you and by me, the ones that should love him the most. He was betrayed by us to save us. Jesus didn't die to save the righteous. He didn't die to save his friends. He just died to save his enemies, those who had betrayed him. Have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? I guarantee you have betrayed him by your sin, but have you trusted in him that you might be his friend, that you might be his beloved? When life falls apart, what comfort does God give to you and to me? What hope does he give to us? That he is sovereign, that he has a sovereign plan of redemption, a glorious plan of redemption, that he has ordained even suffering in your life to bring apart to bring along a glorious plan that is far bigger than you and me. I don't have time to go into my conclusion, (laughs) but I want you to ask this. I just want to ask this question. Do you think Joseph understood what was going on when he was thrown in the pit, when he was being taken away as a slave? Do you think he knew? Do you think he said, oh, this is a great plan of God's redemption. He's going to save thousands of people and save the people of Israel, and he's going to bring from this the Savior of the world. Do you think he understood that in the midst of his suffering? Maybe a little. I doubt much. 
Some of you are going through suffering right now. Some of you right now, your world is falling apart. And so the question is, what hope is there? Well, there's great hope. Because all who are in Christ know that we are headed for an eternal destiny of paradise. And there's a great hope that God is suffering, that that God is sovereign, that in our suffering, it is a link in God's chain of his glorious plan of redemption. That we may not understand why it's happening now, but we can trust that God means it for good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the story of Joseph. God, pray that you would remind us in the midst of our suffering that you have a plan grander than we can ever imagine and that our suffering is a part of that glorious plan of redemption. Remind us of that, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.